get, in other words, digging out of scripture, what James is saying to the original audience and how it applies to our life 2,000 years later. So yes, we will be talking about the controversial passage of James 2, 14 through 26, that faith without works is dead. And so come on out to see what God's word really means about that passage and so much more Sunday nights at 6 p.m. What this world needs today is, well, yes, this world does need love, but this world also needs a healthy dose of prayer. On, so you're probably going to have to, I don't know, do I need it? Okay. All right. Well, it's on. So, uh-oh, uh I need a battery. It turned red, of course, naturally. It's all right. I can, I can start a little bit anyway. Go ahead and kind of give you guys the, the intro. So, uh, uh, it is. Uh, well, hold on. Yes, it is. into wherever you want to go and you can kind of see things and that's that's how uh, I prefer to be a lot of times when it comes to the Bible so we're going to get a little bit nerdy tonight so y'all just have to stick with me a little bit and um, I, I don't know that we're going to get all the way through this study but you know maybe we can if we don't then we'll just try to pick it up but I, hopefully you'll find it interesting um, so the purpose of this study I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro because I want to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about tonight um, the, the one of the, one uh, purpose that we have here is to show a more personal aspect of Jesus's relationship with Adam. Uh, you know, a lot of times, and I know as a kid, anytime we went through the creation story, um, it was I never really thought that much about the actual relationship between God and Adam in the beginning. It was more of you know you think of creation and you just think of God out in outer space, you know, calling out things to be done, and and, and then the the world just poof, it all kind of comes together. Now, in the grand scheme, that's probably pretty much how it was. However, there was there's a lot involved in the process of creation. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we want to look at is, you know, the so the more personal aspect of it, because we, we were here. Th there was a plan from day one. There was always a plan. Um, uh, also, to, just to give a more detailed look at why God, you know, passionately uh, declared war on Satan. You know, we, we know the passage where, uh, uh, where the seed of the woman, you know, would bring the Savior. And, and, um, but basically, Jesus was really passionate about things, and that's why war was declared on Satan after uh, thwarting or, or trying to interrupt things uh, with man. Uh, also, just to, to gain a better perspective on just how much Adam was loved by Jesus, not just at the cross, but from day one, from the very first day. Um, uh, and lastly, to provide a clearer picture of creation of both the world and mankind, because all these things, they really do matter, because for me, uh, understanding that God really did, you know, you have a lot of, a lot of people who will say, well, you know, I, I trust that God's got things under control, and and we should we should have that childlike faith. But I love being able to understand God's perspective a little bit because it just gives me a little bit more clarity as we're out in this world and people are trying to attack the Bible and attack God. I am fascinated with how detailed the Bible really is whenever you take a closer look at things because it, it, it just really builds. It's very faith building uh, and, and makes it easier for you to make debate or to talk to people about your faith when when you are vested uh with uh, a lot of that knowledge so uh so before we begin and i'm going to try to blow this up so i did not bring my glasses and so I, some of this writing's a little bit small i have a little bit bigger computer now i had a smaller one and michelle let me get me a larger one because i'm getting older i can't see as good as i used to uh so anyway you just bear with me all right so uh so before we begin just a little bit of context here uh, Genesis chapter 1 is basically an overview of creation through day 6. And so there's a lot of confusion sometimes about Genesis and people, uh, it just depends on who you listen to or who you read when it talks about the different chapters. But chapter 1 is basically just, an, we get an overview. Well then, uh, so uh, also, uh, just in keeping that in mind, also uh, 
and I'll get to why I'm telling you this here in just a minute, but the Bible was organized and divided into chapters and verses by man. Uh, the chapter divisions uh, that are commonly used today were developed by Stephen Langton, and uh, he was an archbishop of Canterbury, and uh, Langton put the modern um, uh, chapter divisions into place, and it, I think it's around 1227 uh, A.D., and the reason for mentioning this is, uh, and you'll see in just a moment, that verses 1 and 3 of chapter 2 actually should have been included in chapter 1. So you're going to see the division there because the, the, the days of creation, it gets all the way through day 6, and then it kind of hops over to chapter 2 and day 7. And um, so that, all that's man-made. So, you know, whenever I make that comment, I, I, just to avoid somebody going, oh, man, you know the Bible. Why are you saying that it, it wasn't there? Well, it's just because the divisions were man-made so sometimes actually there's a lot of other places in the bible where that's true as well uh you know, it's just a minor oversight but worth noting because chapter two actually uh begins at verse four and uh so the focus of genesis chapter two is to give us the order and you'll see that here in just a minute in which things in chapter one were completed so genesis 2 4 uh you know it says these are the generations of the heaven and earth and we'll cover this again in a minute when they, when they were created, the day that the Lord God made the earth and heavens. Um, and uh, then also chapter 2 focuses specifically on the details of the garden first and then on Adam and Eve second. Now what we're going to do is we're, we're going to first look at the, you know, kind of uh, the creation part of it and then we'll get a little bit into uh, Adam. We're not even going to get to the Eve or anything like that. We're not, we're not going to try to cover the first sin and all that. Right now, we're just going to be focusing on that relationship between the creator and the created. So, in, uh, continue with our little intro here. So, I've got a couple of questions. You guys are going to find that sometimes I can ask some controversial questions, but I want to get you thinking about some things. So, was Father God ever in the Garden of Eden? Does, any of you, does anybody have any guesses? The answer is no. He wasn't, and, and that, some people are surprised by that, and I'll tell you how we know that. So it, it does not appear that he, that he was, and we, we get, actually get this from Jesus himself. And, and when I say the garden, at least not at, when it, once Adam, so to be clear, what I mean is once Adam was on scene, we know for sure God the Father was not present there, and, uh, and we just know that because that's what Christ tells us. So whenever we... Uh, whenever we look at uh, what Jesus himself said, he said in, in John 1, 18, no man hath seen God the Father at any time, the only begotten Son, which is uh, the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And then also John six forty six says, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he that which is of God, he, ha he hath seen the Father. Well, Adam's a man. So guess what? If no man hath seen the Father... God, wasn't, God the Father was not there. Now, was God the Father at creation? We'll get to that in a little bit. Yes, he was. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot there. But it's, it's kind of strange to think about that because we always want to think about uh, there, there were times, there, there's going to be times that we see each part of the Godhead has a specific role. And, and, and each one fulfills their role perfectly. And, and uh, by this time, uh, again, I'm not saying that God the Father wasn't present in spirit, but, but, you know, but they all do have physical forms, and we're about to see that Christ in physical form was in the garden. Um, also, just a, another note here, you know, just to be clear that the uh, Father and Spirit, they were at creation, and like I said, the point was that Jesus was appointed to be the architect and the primary builder of creation. That was, that's the main point that I want to make here. Uh, John 5.30 uh, this is Jesus himself talking. It says, uh, I, I, can, uh, uh, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of my Father which hath sent me. So Jesus, you know, obviously what he's talking about is being sent here to die on the cross and for the plan of salvation. But ultimately, that's, you know, whenever you put, the, put things in context, that Jesus's role has always been, he, I mean, he's been in charge of this entire thing. The, the Bible itself is literally a love story. It's a love letter that is about Jesus Christ himself from, from the very first chapter all the way to Revelation. It's, it's always been about him and, and God the Father sent him here to do the job that he's doing. 
and and we'll see a little bit more about that later but that the important thing to remember uh as we look at this is this whole book is about jesus christ it really is and and uh there's so many places where we can see christ even in the old testament you know and as a younger christian i remember um you know just in my mind not knowing a whole lot you know i i I knew Jesus was in the New Testament and just, you know, God, you know, was all in the Old Testament. And then the more that I started to read and learn, the more I realized that Jesus has had his hand on everything. And uh, just as a side note, too, if you go back, if you want to do a great study, go back to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Look at the arrest of Jesus. And you, what you'll notice is, is Jesus controlled every aspect of his capture, every aspect. He controlled the dialogue. He controlled when they took him, every, every single thing. He's always had, he's, he's always been in control from day one. And it's just fascinating to go when you make notes of those things. It, when you look at the, the dialogue that he has with, with Pontius Pilate, when you look at the dialogue that he has with the Pharisees, he was always in control. They never caught him off guard. He was prepared, again, because the Bible is all about him. It, this, this whole story, this love letter is all about him. Um, also, yeah, I wanted to point out the, the, what Paul says in Colossians uh, 1, 12 through uh, 6 tells us that by the Son were all things created uh, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So n- make a note here. Paul could have said God, but he didn't. He said the Son. So he was very specific. And, and as we know, you know, Paul was trained by who? Huh? Jesus Christ, yeah. Paul was trained by Jesus Christ, so Paul would know of all people. You know, he so he was he was trained. Well, he was trained by. He had a college education, man. Paul did, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the backstory. But but yeah, but so he he didn't he 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 made a point to say the son. So again, to me, it, it, it creation it all it all points back to Jesus Christ. So uh, again. Uh, you know, again, more questions, you know, to kind of help reveal things. So what does this tell us knowing that about the Lord God spoken of in Genesis? You know, um, basically, when you read the words Lord God, when you're, when you're reading through Genesis, not in all cases, but in most of them, it is a reference to Jesus Christ. So when you see, when you see the, the words the Lord God, when you, in, in fact, if you go back and you, if you were to take your Bible and as you're reading that, every time it said Lord God, it changes your perspective completely when you realize that that is a Christophany. That is, that is a, or some people call it a theophany. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's a, you know, Christ, before he came to, to be the Savior, it's him setting up things, uh, making things, uh, making things happen. So uh, in, in most cases, it is going to be Jesus. Also, remember that his plan of redemption, like I was saying uh, before, it, it, you know, redemption for the world is and always has been the plan. It's been the focus of the Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation. So, uh, in Eden's garden, you know, how do we place Jesus in the garden? So, uh, and, and the reason this is important is because we're going to be talking about it. You know, why, why would I say this is a Christophany and all these things? So I'm going to tell you how my, I'm going to show you some forensic work that I did. This is not rocket science, by the way. But I'm going to start in, um, can I get a volunteer to read John 8, 58? Just, uh, just from the gospel of John 8, 58. While I drank some water, getting dry mouth. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus tells the Pharisees that he's the I am. Now, related to this, if you want to know why that's such a big deal, look at what happened. If you read a little bit further down, what you're going to find out is that they tried to stone him over this. Why would they do that? Why would they stone him for saying, I am? It's because the Pharisees knew what we're about to read a little bit further that Jesus was claiming to be God in this statement. He was claiming to be 
uh, the, the God of the burning bush. He was claiming to be the God of Israel whenever he made this statement, and they didn't like it at all, and they, they picked up stones to stone him uh, whenever he made this statement. So uh, so let's read, um, can I get a volunteer to read uh, Genesis 3.13 through 14? Genesis 3.13 through 14. Okay. okay. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon the belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So, that was the wrong reference. Hold on. I told you I can't read. Let's see. So what I'm looking for is, uh, let's see here. Actually, I think that was supposed to be Exodus. So read, uh, yeah, so yeah, look up Exodus 3, 13 through 14. Oh, man, this is terrible. I should have wore my glasses. I almost did. This is, yes. The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus over this because he said, I am. And the, the God of, you know, the God, God that spoke to Moses in the burning bush said, I, you know, whenever Moses asked him his name, he said, I just tell him I am sent you. So they knew they knew about this. That's why they were so angry about it. So. Uh, all right. So let's let's go to. Yes. Yeah, so th- this should be a correct reference. So uh, Genesis uh, four eleven. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, now I'm thinking I may need to double check myself. Hold on. That should be right. Uh, all right. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Nope. Yeah. It's supposed to be exit. Is it supposed to be Exodus 11? Now, yeah. I made a made an error. See, that's what happens when you copy and paste in these things. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Exodus uh, 4:11. Okay, so who has made man's mouth? Who's this talking? The God from the burning bush, who is I am. Okay, so, uh, and finally, um, we're going to read, let's see, yeah, let me make sure this is, it's either going to be Exodus or Genesis, so let me make sure that I have this right. Um, So I think, I think, actually think this is Genesis. Two seven. Um. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Genesis two seven. Volunteer. Okay. So here we have the uh, Lord God. Um. Yeah. Here breathing, breathing uh, life into man. So. So the connection is really simple. So I'm gonna. I'm just gonna break it down for you. Jesus is I am. He said so. We read it. The I am was the voice of God from the burning bush. We saw that. That I am identified himself from the burning bush. Uh, I am from the burning bush tells Moses, I made man's mouth. Who made man's mouth? Conclusion, I am made man. Since Jesus is I am, Jesus made man's mouth from the dust of the ground. And we have it in Genesis 2-7. So, you can follow this back, but that's Jesus Christ in the garden that made Adam. Very simple. Um, so, let's get into this. We're going to, uh, I know, uh, like I say, I ha- there's a lot to this study, and I, I want to unfold it in a way that's palatable, and, because it, just rushing through it, you just, there's a lot, there's so many details that you can miss when you read through it and you try to do that. So, we'll just, we'll just go, and when we run out of time, we'll stop. Um, but let's go ahead and turn to Genesis 2, 
and uh, we'll we're just gonna we're just gonna go. I'm just gonna take a brackets of verses, and we're just kind of gonna sort of go through, take a look at what it says, and um, and you, some of this stuff is gonna be things that you already know. But I think that there might be some things that I might be able to point out as we go that might surprise you. Maybe it won't. But either way, if it if it gets you excited about reading the Bible and maybe digging a little bit deeper, that's then my job here is done. Um, so let's uh, take a look at verse. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, all three of the verses. And like I said, this is the part that technically should have been included in part in, in chapter one. Uh, but we're going to I'm still going to honor it as well. But it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. All right. So uh, taking a look at verse one here. Uh, basically, creation in, it, in and of itself, it's finished at this point. So we have. Uh, this is when when everything's done uh, and so this is heaven and earth and everything in them so uh, basically up to this point uh, we've got uh, all of creation I assume that this includes man it doesn't really say it just says heaven and earth and everything in them so by this point I think maybe this is once everything is completely done including mankind that I don't really know so I'm, I'll just tell you the things that I don't know and it, the, those kind of things really doesn't matter that much, I think. So Jesus ended his work, and he rested from all his work. Now, uh, based on these verses, there there really are many Bible studies out there that try to teach the principle of rest and all that, which it truly is important. Um, but the actual Hebrew word for rest here is sabbat, uh, or shabbat. Uh, and uh, shabbat means uh, to cease or to stop from labor. So Jesus didn't take a break here. A lot of people think, oh, you know, God rested. The word rested, it just simply means he was done. He was completed. So uh, he stopped because he had completed creation. So um, basically, well, you know, so Jesus sanctified or set apart the seventh day because he had uh, completed uh, his creation on that day. Now, so this is interesting, too, because, you know, that he sanctified it. And so you think, okay, so it's a day of rest. He sanctified it. He did make the Sabbath the day of rest for, for Israel. But basically, Jesus is just, it's almost like celebrating. I'm finished. He, this thing he's planned for, he's worked for, he's done. It's a time to, it's a time to sanctify. He wanted to sanctify this time that it was finished. It was, it was completed. Or at, le at least this phase of creation was done. Uh, because all of these things in the plan had been finished. So uh, it was a time for him to set this day apart, set the seventh day apart, as, almost as a remembrance of the, of the completion of creation itself. It wasn't that he took a break and went and laid in a hammock for a few days or, or, or for a day. He, he, uh, was, uh, it was just a way to recognize the completion of all the things that he had done. Um, so let's continue on. I'll go ahead and read uh, verses 4 and 5. And it says, and these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth and when they were created and the day that they were created, Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. So uh, here we have, uh, we've got uh, verse four. So, uh, as I mentioned before, um, you know, this is really kind of where chapter two really truly sort of sort of picks up. And this is a sort of a cutoff from where now uh, we're getting some new information. So we're told uh, the verses that follow verse four will give us the order of events in which things were completed. So because he says these are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the heaven, the earth and the heavens. This is not an additional uh, part of creation. What this is, is he's backing up and going, okay, now I've kind of given you the, I've kind of given you the cliff notes. Now we're going to, now I'm going to tell you the order in which things were made. So he decides to, to sort of break it down. So he, we're, we're about to get a breakdown of, of the, cre of creation. Now there's a whole lot more to it than what is covered in chapter two. But as you know, in the Bible, if, if it's mentioned here, 
then it's important. It's, it, it means we need to pay attention uh, to the details that we're given. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, also, in, uh, in, in, in verse 5, I have a kind of a funny question for you because we're about to find this out. Did Jesus have a greenhouse? And uh, so the reason I say that is because whenever we started to read uh, verse 5, it says, and every plant of the field before it was, uh, before it was in the earth. You real, do you realize that uh, basically uh, what we're being told here is every, Jesus made every plant and herb before it was in the earth, before it grew. So think about that. Uh, and we're, we're going to get, there's a little bit more uh, detailed uh, as we go along. And I'm going to point out some other things to you. But these things, the, the plants and all those things, they were made before they were ever placed. I mean, think about what that implies. That is just, that is fascinating. It just goes to show you how detailed he was. He knew what he was doing. He knew the order of which he wanted to make it. And those things were created and set aside. Now, I'm not saying that he had a bunch of trees and pots and stuff like that. But what I am saying is at some, at some level, whether he had seeds, whether he had plants, he had, these things were created before they were ever put in the ground. So, um, you know, what does that mean? I have no idea. No clue. But it's neat to know that, the, that he had a plan. He was ready. He, he had prepared things before. That, that's why we can, we can be 100% confident in uh, Christ's plan of redemption because if you think he was that detailed on creation, imagine how, how, how much planning he's done ahead of time preparing for us. So it's just, uh, to me, that's the, the main point that I wanted to, to point out here is that there, there's always been a plan in place and he prepared. And, and that's really, that's the truth that I pull from this is that if he, if he made the plants before they were in the ground preparing for creation, well, I mean, I don't know, maybe he had a bunch of Petri dishes up there. I don't know. I have no clue. But the but Bible tells us he made them before they were in the ground. And see, I, I read Genesis. I can't tell you all how many times I read through Genesis that I, I never picked that up. But in, 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 here's the thing is I've tried to do word studies on these things looking at the original Hebrew, and that's pretty much what it says. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I think when you and I were talking before, a lot of times some of these things we really do need to take literally. It depend, you, know, you have to look at the context. But sometimes we really should take things literally uh, uh, as we're being told, there there are lots of places in the Bible where we see uh, examples or, uh, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but basically, uh, you know, uh, similes, and that's not what that's not what this is the, that we're looking at. So, all right, so let's keep, let's continue on verses six and seven. It says, "But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and the Lord God formed." of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul so uh so looking at verse six here uh sprinkler system no there wasn't one but pre-flood method of watering the ground yes and uh, i i can I, I can step into pastor danny's territory just a little bit here um uh, you know, some say this is the morning dew watering plant life and all that. But this is this actually I'm not sure if this was if the plants uh, in terms of creation were planted or not. But what I do believe is, is, is uh, based on my word study here, I'm pretty sure rather than it being dew, this would be a mist under the canopy, you know, the, the uh, pre-flood canopy. So if you if you want an exciting study, you should take a look at some of the scientific things of the pre-flood canopy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's very interesting because, you know, at this point, rain was being reserved for another time. Another thing that tells us God, he was ready. He was ready. Um, so let's take a look at verse 7. Man is formed. So we have man being formed. By the way, you got to love my graphics here. I tried, to look, I tried to find some really cool pictures to put on here, um, but I thought this was fascinating, you know, just showing uh, a, an image. This is a painting of Jesus uh, trying to make, uh, making man from dust. So I don't know whether it's accurate or not. The guy does look Jewish. 
or Israeli, maybe. I don't know. They got that part right. Sometimes you see pictures like this and they'll be redheaded with white skin. I don't know. I don't know if you guys remember that old uh, uh, made-for-TV movie, Jesus, Jesus Christ, or Jesus of Nazareth. The guy was a blue-eyed, red-headed, super white dude with a beard. And uh, I, we didn't know, back, didn't know better back then, but anyway, I would have. We call that out now. I kind of chuckle at it now, to be honest. But anyway, it's kind of funny. So Jesus breathed breathed life uh, into Adam, the breath of life. Life itself, you know, truly is a supernatural gift. Our world today, they don't understand how supernatural life really is. We are meat puppets. I mean, if you've ever heard that before. I mean, we are. We're we're not 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 puppets, but basically, we are meat machines. If you think about it, we're mechanical. We have a we we have hard drives and memory and and processors all built in, and it's all it's, it's cells and liquid and and muscle. It's like it's the 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 human body is one of the most fascinating machines ever designed. If you think about it, mankind, even the smartest, have been trying to replicate what God did, and they have never been able to get even close. And so so here we have this uh, human shell that is created by Jesus Christ and the breath of life is placed into him that, that fires up the mechanisms, gets things going. I mean, it's just exciting even thinking about it. And honestly, as a side note, I don't have any proof of this, but I kind of wonder if maybe that was the Holy Spirit's role in this because the, in the New Testament and really even in the Old, the breath or the pause. In fact, if you look at uh, Jewish writing where they have the, uh, is it the comma or the breath? It, uh, it all points back to the Holy Spirit. So there's lots of references to the Holy Spirit and breath and, and the, from the pronunciation of certain Jewish words, they use the huh sound and all that. It, it's, it's very complicated. Some of it's over my head. That part I do know. But, you know, it just kind of makes you wonder if maybe that was the Holy Spirit's role. I don't know. To be the breath of life. Uh, now, obviously, that would be different than the Holy Spirit that we know of for receiving Christ and salvation, obviously. And this would be prior to the fall. This would be before sin was entered into mankind. So, Because the one thing that we know is that it, with the Godhead, they all had a role. God the Father uh, basically uh, was there... And, you know, the, there's, there's a lot to, to say about that. And we, uh, there's another whole study on God the Father's role. But uh, anyway, uh, anyway, I just thought that was neat that, you know, the breath of life was breathed uh, into Adam. Uh, so then, uh, then we have the flesh of man's body, you know. And, and also, that's the other thing, too. You know, when man dies, we just turn back into that old dust. You know, that same dust that we were made from. Now, you know, it's funny you see pictures like this and it's like, hey, Jesus went and made a sandbox and then he just went and built a, built a man out of sand. The, obviously, that's not what it is, but, but it's literally talking about dust. Have you, ever, have you ever been in your house and seen the, when the dust mites start acting up and, the, and all of a sudden you have the dust and how fine it is? You don't have dust? Oh, man. Uh, come on. I need to get some secrets. We need some secrets from you then. I don't know how to avoid the dust just keeps coming back but but literally uh you know without being gross but if you've ever seen a sarcophagus or you've looked at old pictures that 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 nasty little fine dust literally man turns back into dust a powdery dust whenever whenever the body decays and it's just again the bible's not wrong we, we, I mean, we were told it right here and you know they didn't the Bible said it long before scientists ever took any look at it. So, anyway, go Bible. All right, so uh, let's take a look at verse 8. Let's go ahead and read verse 8. And it says, The Lord God, the Lord God uh, planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Okay, so we'll stop right there. So, Jesus planted a garden. Think about what that means. Now, I'm going to get. I'm, I'm probably going to get so deep in the weeds. You guys are probably going to call me a heretic and all kinds of stuff, um, but that's okay. Um, so the Hebrew uh, verb here for planted is a nata, uh, and this word simply just means to establish or fix. Um, 
because I wanted to know if there was more information about the Christ planting. I don't really know that, um, but I do have some ideas. But I, I will say this: as we were talking before, this is what we this is what I found out about a lot of the a lot of this stuff. Uh, unless the con, uh, context dictates uh, otherwise, um, you need to, we need to take it literally. So if we do that, it tells us that he planted, uh, it planted the garden. So, uh, so, so this is where I'm going to step. I'm going to step off into. Uh, I'm going to step away from Bible, and I'm going to give you Matt's opinion on things. Th- and this is just for your entertainment. That's it. That's it's nothing more than that. Um, so, we sell windows and doors. Our family, we sell windows and doors. We are connected to the construction industry. We deal with home builders all the time, contractors, people who build structures. Um, so the contractor's job is to understand the plan, know how to read the house plans. He's, he has to know the order in which the house has to be built. He has to, um, you know, he, he has to oversee the construction of the work to make sure that the work is done correctly by the subcontractors. But he doesn't actually hammer the nails himself. Now, he might, but most of the time he is there directing the construction of this building. On the ground, boots on the ground, not in the truck, not at his house on a phone. We do have builders like that. I don't recommend them. Get you a builder whose boots on the ground. But a good builder, the best builders that we know, are on the job site. And so this is what I surmise. I think Jesus Christ planted the Garden of Eden. Now, again, I don't have any... You know, there's nothing in the Bible that says, you know, Jesus slipped on his sandals and his gloves and he went out there and dug holes. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe. I don't know. But but he did plant this garden. And that's what we're told right here. Think about how personal that is to plant a garden. We're talking about, you know, it's not just, you know, we 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 have this big view of, you know, uh, Jesus just kind of showing up in the atmosphere, you know, sky, earth, water, boom, 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 all these things, you know, creation, speak it in there, poof, there it is. When in fact, that's not how it was done. Now, I'm not saying that it wasn't done in six literal days or anything like that. You know, there's a lot of debate on all that. I'm not even going to touch that one. But what I do know is that we can see a personal touch here. There's a personal touch given. Has anyone ever done landscaping in their own yard i know i have it's work you have to plan for these things there it's it's very personal what you select to go in there you know where it goes how it's going to be cared for all these things um so anyway so i I just kind of wanted to point that out now um here's something else i want to point out too so the garden is constructed eastward in Eden. Now understand the distinction here. Eden is not the garden. The garden uh, is the garden is in uh, it's in Eden's east side. Or so in other words, it's east of Eden. So what's Eden? You ever thought about that? What is Eden? I don't know. Is it a city? Is it a land? I don't know. That's kind of curious, kind of a curious thing, you know, because it was the garden was planted east of Eden. The garden wasn't necessarily Eden. In fact, there's no there's no other there's no reference to the actual name of the garden. It just it always refers to it garden east of Eden. So that's kind of cool. To think about that because it brings all you guys have to understand it, with in my brain all the all these little things start firing off and I go, oh, I wonder what Eden was. You know, what was it? I don't know. I have no clue. But it's just cool to think about that, that there was more going on at that time than, you know, I mean, it's just, there, it's just, it's so fascinating, so fascinating. Um, so anyway, so then we have Jesus placed, uh, Jesus, you know, the man Jesus made, he, he places in this garden that he planted. This very personal garden, very personal. All right, let's keep going. Verses 9 through 14. I'm going to I'm trying to cover this in, in blocks here. Um, so and the Lord and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden 
and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was, it was parted and became into four heads. And the name of the first is Pisan, uh, that is uh, it which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Bdellium and onyx stone, and the name of the second river is Gihon, uh, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hidekel, uh, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. All right, so it's, about to get, it's about to get spicy. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at this here. All right, so let's start in verse 9. So a couple of things to point out going all the way back to verse 9. These trees were not only aesthetically pleasing, they provided food. Not all of them, probably. I don't know. But we do know, uh, we know at least two of them that had food on them. I would imagine there were probably more. Uh, they didn't have a local McDonald's east of Eden, I'm pretty sure. So uh, vegetables, you know, fruits, whatever, uh, growing, they provided food. And they were aesthetically pleasing because it is a garden. So you would only put things in there so also have uh you know just in my mind if you think about this the garden was established when adam was put into it his job was basically just to keep things up to maintain that's why he was put there he was given a responsibility to maintain what god had already done there wasn't a ton of work you know maintaining something's pretty easy it's like, that's why I like to buy a newer car. I don't want to maintain, I mean, I don't want to, I don't, that's why I don't try to build anything. You know, I don't, I don't want that kind of work, but I can buy a new car. I can maintain it. I, every now, you know, every 3,000 miles, I can have the oil changed in it and I can do this and that. Maintenance is easy. I mean, he had a sweet ride. I mean, he really did. God put him there. The, like I say, the garden was already established. Um, so curiously, we only get the name of two of the trees, tree of life Tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're only given two. There were, obviously, there were a lot more. And, and we, no one really knows how big the garden was, but, I mean, it probably wasn't small. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, it was probably a pretty big garden. Um, which, I don't think I finished my point before about the whole contractor thing. So, when Jesus is planting this garden, you know, the care, I think, that probably went into the planting of this garden, and we're going to see here, he even had, a, he had an irrigation system set up for it. Think about this thing. The garden was at least big enough for four rivers to run from it or through it or something. I mean, it was, I mean we're not talking about a small thing here. And if he orchestrated that uh, and he planted all of the things that were in there, um, again, if you take that logic and you back it up to creation itself where... Well, actually, this is what I want to do is actually bring it forward. When Jesus Christ told his disciples that he would go and prepare a place for them, what do you think that means as the, as the perfect builder? If you think he just went up to heaven and went, mansions everywhere, poof. You know, I don't think that's the case. I think he is building a place for us. I think he's building it. Now, again, I don't think he's up there with a hammer and nails, but I think he's up there as the builder architect preparing, preparing, getting ready. So I, I think there's, it's much more personal than that. It's much more personal uh, than that, the, even the preparing a place. So we only have two, let's get back on track here, so I didn't mean to rabbit trail. Yes. Hmm. Right. I, oh, I, I, I fully believe that, that that's going to be the case. I, I think that it'll be unique. Um, you know, the, just the thought that there's really truly that much care. So now you're starting to see what we were saying before. When Satan came in and tried to destroy all of this, he put work into it. He put planning into it. He, he was personally invested. He was given this job by the Father to come down here and, and do all of these things. So it's, it's, you know, when you have 
you put work into something like that. You want to know why Satan got war declared on him? Because he came down here to try to mess things up. And, and I hope I have time to get to one of my main points because it's, it's really good, but we're, we're trying to build up to it. I'm trying to move along, at least get to that stopping point. Um, yeah, so we're, we only have two names. So and what we're also told is these two trees that are located in the midst of the garden. As best I can tell, that means middle encompassed inside somewhere probably in the middle i don't really know not not too sure about that um so anyway i do have this little graphic right here so these are the four rivers and we're about we're about to kind of break that down real quick but this is just an old drawing that uh that i pulled off of an old like a little jewish website kind of a thing but you have the havila that was mentioned right there uh gihon um euphrates this is prath that's not i think that's what they call it now maybe uh but euphrates uh but anyway you kind of get the idea uh so moving on to verse 10 so we know that this river actually came out of eden so these rivers came out so i don't know you know it said you, you know a lot of people believe it's still right in this area i mean um and honestly, even some of this stuff is sort of a guess, uh, you know, as far as all that goes. And it's because, here, here's, the, here's the thing a lot of people miss. After the flood, geography changed completely. There's no way no one can ever really know where the Garden of Eden ever was. They can't because uh, before the flood, I'm not, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe everything was all on one big continent. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? Uh, so geography completely changed you know they you have all kinds of people out there that say oh you we know where those rivers are well they really don't i mean they they have a general idea but they're not sure they have no clue um but we do know that the rivers came out of eden all right so uh continue on here uh so looking at verse 11. So the river uh, Pison, which means overflower to increase in Hebrew. So you guys know I was going to, I told you I was going to nerd out a little bit. So I looked up the names of these rivers. We're going to look at that because it's going gonna, it's gonna to tie in here in just a minute. So we, the name of the river Pison, it actually just means overflow or increase in, uh, in, in the Hebrew. Uh, it flowed through, the, it just said, the, the only information we have is it flowed through uh, the land of Havilah. Apparently, Avila has gold, and it is good. So uh, I know that I've heard, uh, and I don't remember where I heard it from, but I know some people do believe that that's, that that's oil. I don't think that's the case, and I'll, I just think that the, because they said that because of the, 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 the literal here and being told the gold was good, we're given a little bit more. It's like he doubles down on things. Um, so... Uh, Anyway, so let's keep going. Um, verse 12. So Havilah, the, so I also just looked up the name of Havilah. This, this really won't play into anything, but I just thought it was interesting to bring this up. Havilah just means circular uh, in Hebrew. Um, we were told the gold is good in Havilah. The word gold here in Hebrew, though, is uh, zahab, uh, which means to shimmer. Um, and the word is most often used as shimmer and not necessarily in all cases, is precious metals. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a case for, for my precious metals thing here in just a minute. Uh, bedellium is uh, uh, bedola. I, I'm butchering these words, so just stick with me. Uh, in Hebrew, which is only used twice in the entire Bible. And so what, this is what's interesting. Is that, so it's, that, the other, only other time this word is used is to, is to describe the color of manna. Did you know manna was gold? Isn't that fascinating? Manna was gold. It's crazy. Um, so anyway, but it was used to describe manna. In, uh, in, it's, and it's really what it is, is it's, it's used as an amber color. It, it refers to an amber color. So like a golden, like a color, like, like your corn pops in your cereal box at home. I don't know. Maybe that's what it looked like. Who knows? Um, but uh, anyway, it's amber in color. Um, it's, uh, but it's also used in Numbers uh, 11, 7. Um, Onyx here is shoham in Hebrew, which also uh, is almost exclusively used to represent a pale green precious stone uh, barrel. It, one little note that I saw when one of them says it is said to resemble a human fingernail for some reason. Like, I don't know if it's the shape or like I was thinking, who's got pale green fingernails? That's kind of gross. 
you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if that's why it's referenced that way. I don't know if it's the shape or the color. I have no, I have no idea. I just saw that and I thought, yeah, I'm just going to throw that in for free. Um, so the word usage, it seems to indicate that Havila shimmered with gold and pale green. So some, I have, so I've heard lots of different arguments. Some people say, oh, well, all that means is it had this green, uh, you know, just had a, a you know, a green growth and, and golden grass and all this other kind of stuff. But I can't find any uh, evidence that that's true. It seems to be more, it seems to have more of a monetary value uh, established. So apparently, if you were going to be living around Eden, you wanted to be in Havila. And you wanted to have your little mining fork or whatever, or pick. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Side note on that. Um, you got to be careful about this. But you know the priests that wore the colored stones on their on their vestige or or uh, uh, on what they whatever they would wear. I forget what they call it, the ephod or something like that. It is said that many of the references to the stones actually represents colored light. And some people believe that whenever um, the times that angels have been seen in their true form and all this other kind of stuff, that it actually, that even in the Bible, when it talks about the throne room of God, that has more to do with the colored light than it does actual stones. Now, I don't know if that's true, but anyway, I thought I would throw that out there because it could be, I don't know, it could be just bright colored light. We do know that... Um, you know, I mean, it could be things or, or, or adorned with precious stones, but could also be colored light. It really could be. So uh, that I don't really know. Um, we'll continue on. Verse 13. So the second river is Gihon, which means bursting forth in Hebrew, and it flowed uh, through Ethiopia. Um, verse four, uh, 14 here. Third river is uh, Hidekel, which means rapid in Hebrew. So this river is also thought to be the Tigris River, which, again, I'm not sure just because we know that the landscape changed after the flood. Maybe it is. I don't know. But they, there, are, there are a lot of people that think it's the Tigris River. And the fourth river is Euphrates, which means fruitfulness in Hebrew. So now, interesting fact. So the names of the four rivers put together mean overflowing, bursting forth, rapid, fruitfulness okay so this is this is in this is in order however english text is read right to left hebrew text is read let no yep english is read left to right hebrew text is read right to left i had to get that right did you know that all text flows to jerusalem it, all, it, it, it this is not a, a total this is not a complete rule but it's interesting to note that countries west of jerusalem uh, read from left to right. Countries uh, east of Jerusalem read right to left. That is 100% true. And if you don't believe me, check it out. That's just, that's, that's just a fast, that's a little tidbit. That's free. Another free one for you. Um, so Hebrew is read from, from left to right, uh, toward, toward Jerusalem. So what it actually says is fruitfulness, rapid bursting forth and overflowing. Imagine this garden Imagine these rivers and all that. There's just, I mean, I don't know what that means, but I just thought it was cool that you will find so many times where the names are important. What God calls something, what he names them. If you, if you do a study on, on things that God names, it's almost like a secret code you can unlock. I mean, you know, some people, they, there is a book called Bible Codes and all that. I don't, I don't want to get too deep into all that because it has zero to do with salvation. It's just something that's kind of cool to talk about. But what it does mean is, um, when you read through here, if you, if you do, you will find there's a lot of references to names, and it's almost like there is, there, it's just a way to authenticate the Bible. Because there's no way anyone could ever put all of this together the, the way that it is. It's just, it's just another, another thing that's, that's interesting. So, all right. So, uh, anyway, it could be a, a description of the lands of the rivers. So, verse 15, I'm trying to hurry. I know we're running out of time. Adam put in the garden uh, to dress and keep it. Uh, if Adam was put in the garden, 
then was he somewhere else before he was in the garden? Because he, he, maybe he wasn't, it doesn't say he was created in the garden. We assume he was, but that's not what it says. It says Adam was put in the garden. Was he a citizen of Eden? I doubt it. I don't know. Uh, who knows? But he was put there. So he was somewhere else before he was there. Like I said, I asked these nerdy questions. I don't know what they mean. Because um, I, I don't have any answers for that. Uh, he was given a responsibility. He was given a job to carry out the daily maintenance of the garden, just like we were talking about before. Uh, verse 16, uh, and I'm having to kind of skip forward because I'm trying to get to my main point here at the end that I think is uh, important. Uh, so the assignment came with a bonus. He can freely eat, according to verse 16, he can freely eat of the garden. So it's like, uh, it's like God gave him a bag of Skittles. You know, he could eat of anything. I mean, who knows what all was, grew on the trees in this garden or, or grew on the, on the plants? No one knows. But all the range of colors, flavors, and fruits and veggies of the garden, he could eat of anything he wanted. So, except, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But understand that Adam uh, is being told here, uh, he says that, uh, so th this is the distinction. Adam wasn't being set up here. Some people say, oh, you know, God was setting up Adam. No, he wasn't. Says he told him he may eat or can eat. He was telling Adam he had free will. He didn't tell him to eat it. He just said you can eat it. And, and and it wasn't saying. And here's the thing: it's almost from the context of he's not necessarily giving him approval. He's just sit, telling him you can. You're you got a mouth. You have free will. You can go do it. You can go. You can eat it if you want to. Uh, so ba basically, the perspective here is Adam is being told he has free will. He's being told he can make decisions. He is autonomous. He can, he can do what he wants to do. That's what he's being told here, is, is that. So, he does not tell him to eat, like I say, of every tree. He's basically telling him he has freedom to choose, and he's being told he has a free will. Verse 17, I'll try to make this super quick. But then you have the big butt. That's what I call it, the big butt. All right, there's one single exception to eating every tree. Why? And this is my main point. Why one rule? Only one. Only one. Um, so why did Jesus place food in the middle of the garden he didn't want Adam to eat? Why would he do that? Why on earth would he do that? So there's a really good reason uh, behind it. So Jesus knew that man needed boundaries and the discipline to honor them. Free will cannot exist without boundaries. No social structure will last unless mankind mutually honors the boundaries put in place by God and each other. The boundary of the tree teaches important self-governance that must be practiced for free will to exist. The fall was a result of rejecting God by ignoring the responsibility of self-governance. The sin of pride and selfishness is grounded in violating spiritual, personal, and social boundaries. What better way for mankind to understand the need of pure self-governance in order for free will to exist in harmony with God and our fellow man. Remember, the end goal here is for us to spend eternity with God, right? Isn't that, isn't that it? How can we do that unless we fundamentally understand the principle of self-governance? Because you can't have free will. Otherwise, we go to heaven and we're robots. We're told what to do. No, we have to live, to, in order to live with free will in eternity, we all must understand self-governance around boundaries. We all have to learn how to do that. This, so th here's my point, and it kind of blew my mind whenever it settled. The whole point of the one rule in the garden was to prepare Adam for eternity. One day when he goes to heaven, if you're going to exist with God, now, this is before the fall. Remember, before the fall, sin had not been put into place here. Adam was getting training. Adam was being taught something. Self-governance. The ability for you to make moral decisions in, in, you, in free will. Because think about it. Adam wasn't told he couldn't touch the tree. He only said he couldn't eat it. Adam could have been out there playing kickball with fruit from the knowledge of good and evil. And he wouldn't have broke any rules. God only told him not to eat it. He could have taken a bite and spit it out, as long as he didn't swallow it, right? There's one rule. Don't eat it. You can touch it. Well, You've got to remember, he had to prune the trees. He was the, he was the keeper of the garden. He was keeping it all up. So anyway, so many people are like, oh, Adam was set up. God's mean. God is so evil. You know, he, he puts this, 
Adam in this garden, he was, teaching, he was teaching him a lesson. He was trying to teach him something that would prepare him for eternity. Because without the ability to govern oneself in, in, in morality and in God's law, you cannot exist there. You just can't do it. So he was being prepared for something. So anyway, I'm just gonna, we're going to stop it right there. But there's actually more. There's a little bit more. And I don't know when the next time we can pick it up, but I've got a little bit more that I can that I can do but we're just all out of time but I appreciate y'all listening to my ramblings tonight so I hope you got a little something out of it if you didn't like I said I told you I was going to nerd out a little bit and I like all the obscure stuff I like to dig real deep into things and and uh, sometimes I get a little bit kooky and I think I scare Ben at work sometimes when I tell him I'm like dude got, see look at what I found when I was reading this morning and he's like are you okay but uh, anyhow all right well, I'm gonna close the word of prayer and you guys can go Lord, thank you so much for this uh, time that we've had together. Thank you just for your word and just how fascinating it really is when we get a chance to dig down in there and, and, and really try to understand you and understand your character and understand everything that was went involved, uh, just how deeply invested you were from day one. And uh, we just love you, Lord. We thank you that you also had a plan to redeem us whenever Satan tried to mess it all up for us. And uh, we just love you and thank you for all you do. Give us a great week this week, a safe trip home tonight. And uh, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.